Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open Banking Expo Unplugged podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast at Open Banking Expo. And today uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Komorowski, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Vault. In fact, uh, that's a fairly new role. I think it's it's fair to say he joined Vault earlier this year from PayPal, uh, having spent a decade at that organisation, serving in a number of, sort of senior commercial and, and leadership roles. We'll definitely come on to find out a bit more about that. Matt joined Vault after the business had had a, a fairly busy 2021, I think it's fair to say. The Open Payments Gateway had secured uh, $23.5 million in a Series A funding round, which was led by EQT Ventures. And in November last year, Vault entered the Latin American market with its launch in Brazil. So there's plenty going on uh, at Vault at the moment. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Look, let's uh, start with a bit more about your background, um, because as I mentioned there, you joined Vault earlier in the year from PayPal, where I think you'd spent around a decade, right? So can you tell us, um, you know, what roles did you hold while you were at PayPal? What, what, what was your experience there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, 10 years of PayPal went by a lot faster than uh, than I expected. It was uh, PayPal's a fantastic company to work for, tons of talented people, uh, great, uh, you know, great leadership, great mission that they that they have, and really trying to uh, you know to level the playing field in terms of uh, of financial services and and, and payments around uh, around the world. Um, I had a number of different roles there, so I was the I started off as the the head of sales for for Central and Eastern Europe. I was general manager for for Central and Eastern Europe, which consisted of twenty three countries. Uh, I then was with general manager for uh, several of the uh, the business units for. Uh, Scandinavia, Benelux, CE, Ireland, Singapore, uh, and most recently spent uh, three years in uh, in Singapore running the uh, international uh, channel partnerships team. So, looking after the uh, uh, the channel partners or the PSPs and shopping carts, different uh, companies that PayPal, PayPal partners with uh, in places like Latin America, Middle East Africa, uh, and uh, and APAC. So, lots of uh, lots of exciting experiences. Yeah, and it sounds like you, you pretty much covered the globe while you were there. So Almost. what what brought you to, to Vaults then? You know what? I was really excited by uh, the, the open banking opportunity. I mean, it's you know, we, we, we know open banking as PSD2 in Europe, as uh, faster payments in the UK. But I mean, open banking is a it's really a global phenomenon. We've got you know, different flavors of open banking in about 60 countries across the world. And I really see it as... A, a way of giving people more control over their finances and, you know, democratizing the way people move money and get paid. Uh, so most people, but not all people, have a, you know, when they have a you know, bank account, they also have a debit card. Uh, some cards are free. Other have, cards have fees attached to them. Not everyone's able to get a, a credit card. Credit cards have additional fees attached to them. Um, you know, where, whereas account-to-account payments are and should essentially be be free. Um, and, you know, when we look outside of Europe, the number of people who have access to to debit or credit cards, I mean, that 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 plummets. Um, and again, you know, being able to give them access to to be able to move money, to be able to purchase things online um, in a in a fair and equitable way, 
is, you know, it's, I think is, you know, soon will be, will be table stakes. And I think that's where open banking really has an opportunity to, to move that. So well, if you look at, um, you know, the acceptance rate of, of open banking and, you know, picks, um, you know, in Brazil, which is the local, the local scheme or UPI in India, I mean, the, the adoption of that has just been monumental and it's been, it's, it's been game changing for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, let, let's um, kind of build on, on, that sort of real-time payments opportunity that I know that you've kind of spoken about before in, in previous interviews. Um, so maybe you can provide a, a bit of context here and um, and explain what factors are at play when, when we're talking about, you know, these real-time payments and the opportunity in that space. I think there's I think there's a number of, of, of different opportunities. Right? I mean, there's the there's the consumer opportunity and then there's the the merchant opportunity, right? And and really for consumers, as I kind of just mentioned a moment ago, it's you know the ability to to move money, to send money and to, to make payments um, a lot cheaper because you know essentially you know you, you, you can say that you know cards or bank accounts are free, but they're really not actually free. Um, there's a lot of you know there's always a lot of costs atta- attached to that, either direct or indirect. And then for merchants as well, right? It's about being able to get paid faster, safer. And and again, with with lower costs, right? So open banking is, you know, it's avoiding the the scheme fees that you have on on, on cards. Uh, and again, it's making that uh, and is making that more equitable. Uh, then the question always comes in, like, you know, so you know, if it's if, if, if it's free, how can it be good? And I think that's a whole separate topic of, uh, of of discussions, like how do you actually make sure that there is an an equitable distribution, and you know, different parties within with within the ecosystem are actually making money to to make sure that the ecosystem is um, you know is is growing and evolving. Um, but but I think in in essence, and kind of in, in what it is, um, I think that's you know, open banking is a way to actually be able to distribute that more equally. Yeah, so lots of opportunities, as you, as you said there, on the consumer kind of merchant side as well. So uh, why is Vault so kind of well equipped to take advantage of, of these opportunities? What what kind of, what do you have at your disposal, I guess? I think the, uh, the first thing is, I mean, Vault in its DNA to, to begin with is a is a payments first company built by by payments people. Right, so so the the co-founders of Vault all have um, a lot of experience, you know, in payments. The people that have joined throughout, including myself, have you know a, a background in payments, and that's kind of the the basic thing. Is you know, open banking can be about data. We are first and foremost about payments, about the consumer experience, about the merchant experience, and making sure that that is as smooth and as uh, efficient as as possible. So I think that's that's that, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we're you know we're building the infrastructure not just for the UK or for Europe but we're really building a a global account to account payment platform. So today we cover almost 700 million accounts across 5,000 banks. Uh, we're plugging in um, more countries to expand that coverage. Uh, we've launched the first fraud management tool in open banking that allows merchants to. Um, set acceptance rules based on things like, um, you know, like volume or velocity. Um, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to innovate and launch products around open banking and things that, you know, can be, can be useful to merchants. Um, another thing we recently launched is, uh, is pay by links, which allow merchants to actually take open banking payments off platform um, and, you know, allow people to, you know, to pay for things, you know, through their, through the phone, through a text message, through a QR code. Uh, so, you know, really going in that direction. Um, and I guess, and and the last thing is like, 
you know, where we sit within the, the, the ecosystem, we're actually able to see data on both sides. So we see data both on the, the payment initiation side, but also on the, on the settlement side of the transaction, which gives us unique insights into the performance of, you know, how banks are performing, how different TPPs are performing. Um, and I think, you know, a combination of those things is, you know, is, has put us in, in a unique place to really be able to, you know, to, to innovate and go to market with, with the solutions we have. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned, obviously, a number of, of countries and regions where, obviously, there is this real-time payments opportunity. But I guess there are also some countries that are yet to kind of adopt or enable these, these types of payments. So, you know, in places like that, what, what's the main sticking point there? Why, why aren't they enabling real-time payments? And, and how how is Vault going to work to kind of overcome that? Yes, yeah, so I think the I think the main thing about enabling open you know uh, open banking or or, or real time account to account payments in a country is is really the you know the standardization of the regulations in, in in a given country, right? So there are different ways to enable open banking, but fundamentally um, you need to have a kind of a harmonized harmonized and, and, and universally accepted standard for how banks, consumers, and third parties can interact to to move money, right? And you know, in Europe, we call it. You know, it's based on on PSD two, and um, UK I mentioned, you know, it's faster payments. And um, Singapore, it'll be it'll be pay now. So different countries have it set up in in different ways. Um, in some cases, these are bank led schemes. In other cases, these are kind of government led schemes or regulatory requirements. But I think the key element really is to agree on a standard, implement that standard, and and make sure that it makes sense for for all parties involved. And and you know one of the shortcomings, you know, on one hand, you know, PSD has been great, PSD two has been great because it's really kicked off, um, you know, this open you know open banking movements in in Europe. But you know one of the shortcomings of PSD two is actually the you know the lack of equitable distribution within the ecosystem that I that, that I mentioned a little bit before. So, you know, banks have been required to spend hundreds of millions of dollars or euros to build the the infrastructure for open banking, uh, but haven't had the means to actually monetize those APIs up until now. So, not really a great situation to be in, where you know you're required to you know make that massive investment and you don't know when you know when you're actually going to get a payback for it. Um, and I believe that you know that's that that's about to change. You know. With, with you know things like premium APIs and commercial APIs, and um, I think you know when that does, this will really incentivize banks to build the the next level of um, of the payments ecosystem, of the open banking ecosystem. And you know once banks get their fair share and get in on that, I mean the game the, the game is on. So I think we're you know we're just at the you know, the wave is just surging right, for what we can see in open banking. Yeah, it does feel like that at the moment. And you've already mentioned a couple of countries in particular where, um, and as you said, Brazil is a, is a really good example where sort of open banking enabled payments have, have really taken off. And uh, I think it's fair to say they're kind of they're kind of mainstream uh, in a way. So so what's worked so well there that means you know they've seen widespread adoption among con- among consumers because there is still in, in many countries. Um, even where there has been, you know, regulation um, and the banks have been behind it, you know, there's still maybe a lack of, of consumer knowledge about open banking. But for example, Brazil, there seems to be uh, this huge uptake. And, and uh, so can you tell us a bit more about why it's it's worked so well there, really? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Brazil, Brazil's been seeing phenomenal growth. I mean, within two years, 
Um, you know, it's grown to process. I mean, processing on Pix has grown 33 times, right? Within two years, just absolutely huge. And just recently, Pix transactions or Pix volume on Pix has actually surpassed that of credit cards in Brazil. Right? So, in terms of adoption, like it's 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 incredible. Question: Why? I think it's you know it's it's, it's a couple of reasons. So, one, credit card adoption, card adoption in Brazil is not that prevalent. Right. Again, it's you know cards are expensive. It's not that hard to come by. They're not that easy to come by. Interest rates are are, are pretty high. Um, and then also on the merchant side, you know it's two things. So one, accept the, the fees for accepting cards is quite high. And then secondly, in you know Brazil, you actually don't get your money instantly. Right. You usually get your money after 30 days. Um, so again, that's an additional cost for for merchants that they need to that they need to account for. With picks. I mean, the, the payments are instant. You get your money instantly. There's no, there's, there, there's limited, there's always, there always is some fraud, but I mean, there's a limited fraud with it compared to, compared to cards. So just that, I mean, you is, you're able to drive merchant network, a merchant network of acceptance because they have an alternative to pay. You have a P2P solution for people to be able to move money from each other. Um, and that just created network effects that have, again, that have just driven massive adoption within, um, within Brazil. And the you know the the other interesting one is 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 India and UPI in India. I mean they've I think last year the number was I think it was 48 billion transactions on UPI, um, which is absolutely massive and that's grown 100% versus the previous year. And again, and that's you know that's an example of you know, a country where it's really that's government mandated um, that that's available. But then again, it's you know it's convenient, it's fast, it offers um, easy refunds. It's you have you know cross-operability of authentication it's compatible across all devices and, and again it's it's you know it's super low cost um so there's things like that like that that really give you know those are examples of how open banking can be deployed correctly to the benefit of you know essentially all parties yeah and deployed at scale as well i mean those those numbers are quite astounding in the UK, if, if we, we bring it back to, to, to the UK specifically, I suppose, you know, we've heard quite a bit here about variable recurring payments. Um, they've been talked about as a sort of potential game changer here. We've kind of passed uh, the deadline that the CMA um, kind of uh, implemented and, and uh, the OBIE for sweeping use cases for VRPs. So there's obviously... Um, as we've identified, quite a bit of opportunity there. What's the most exciting aspect of, of VRPs, uh, the introduction of VRPs, in your view? Oh, so many interesting and exciting things about VRP. I mean, variable recurring payments um, are the open banking equivalent of card on file or direct debit, but one that, in my opinion, will outperform both of them by miles. Right. I mean, it's you know, essentially VRP is a longstanding consent with time, value, and velocity parameters that are controlled by the user, but controlled by you and me, um, not necessarily just you know set in in um, you know with, with with just one with just one merchant. So I think the the potential of it is huge. I think the downside of it is it doesn't work yet. Um, we've missed the deadline. It's not fully there. So, I mean, you know, banks in the UK have been required to build VRP in full, um, but they've actually only been mandated to provide it for sweeping use cases. So meaning it's only mandated for me to me transfers from accounts in the same name. Um, 
And all banks are required to have that deployed by the end of the year. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't work for commercial applications in this format, right? So where, you know, recurring payments are set up for third parties or, you know, for commercial use cases. I mean, this, that, 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 that's essentially not within the scope of what's been mandated that needs to be, um, that needs to be provided. And VRP for commercial use cases where things get truly exciting. It opens up the ability for banks to actually monetize the investment that they've made. Um, and, you know, it, again, it, it allows them to then build and, and evolve that, um, that infrastructure. And I think, you know, how that's going to happen is going to be different in Europe and in the UK. So I think in Europe, you've got the um, SPAA MSG, which is a, essentially a, um, you know, a, 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 a group where you've got the, um, you know, essentially a European working group where you've got the uh, EU Payments Council that's spent several years producing a, a rule book um, to convert open banking in the EU into a, essentially into a payment scheme. Uh, which would include VRP for commercial purposes. Um, I mean, the rulebook's been published uh, a couple of months ago and will be voted on in November. And once that happens, I would expect um, the EPC to give the banks 12 months to implement those standards. Um, PwC has been appointed to run a uh, an economic uh, an economic or unit economic analysis um, and come up with an independent commercial framework that would be acceptable to, to all sides to make sure that you know everybody's got a, a piece of the pie. And, a piece of the pie. And I mean, if the, the standards for VI, VRP get approved in November, this will result in a in complete conformity on performance as well as um, kind of scheme participation rules to actually how to, you know, how to participate, how to deploy VRP. So that's kind of the, the European way that they're doing it or the EU way. In the, U, in the UK, it's slightly different. So all banks now, as we mentioned, they have me to be me to me sweeping capabilities by the end of this year. And I think, you know, in the UK, um, it's it, it's going to be a little different, little different. So you've got the the FCA, the Competition Markets Authority, the Payment Systems Regulator, HM Treasury. Um, they're all currently deliberating, you know, what's supposed, what will be the oversight of of open banking going forward. Um, and now the the commercial capabilities are still to be defined, but in the meantime, the TPPs are essentially striking deals with individual banks, like they've done with with NatWest. Um, and I think in the UK, it's still not clear what the model will be. Whether there will be kind of a top-down approach in terms of, hey, this is how you how you commercialize, or whether it will be a model where, like this one, you actually have each participant uh, negotiating with each individual bank um, to you know to, to to set up a commercialization model, right? But I think. Either way, I mean, open banking is is moving ahead. VRP is coming one way or the other, um, and we'll see a lot of interesting use cases built on the back of that. Yeah, we're already seeing a few. And and based on what you've said there then about about the UK, do you think, you know, we just need a little more clarity then from some of the regulators about, you know, where this is going and, and when? So more of a timeline, maybe. Yeah, I think it is. I, I think it is a matter of getting a bit more clarity. I mean, um, you know, the UK has been this is kind of in a transitionary period, right? With um, OBIE has been historically overseeing everything, um, and now we just need to understand that whether you know that guidance is going to continue to come from them, and we're going to have clear guidelines in terms of how to actually continue um, rolling out and deploying uh, and evolving um, 
open banking and 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 VR and um, VRP, or is it going to be simply uh, you know we you know we've got the we've got the baseline, but now we actually leave it to the the market participants to figure out how they uh, you know how they develop that further. Yeah, definitely a, a bit of an example of watch this space. As, as you say, there is um, a transition taking place here. Look, Matt, it's been great having you on, and I just wanted to kind of bring it back to. Um, to I guess you know the kind of wealth of of experience that that you've built up so far in in this space, uh, primarily at, at, at PayPal, where as you said earlier, you've spent sort of you had spent sort of ten years prior to joining Vault. What do you think were were some of your main learnings over that kind of decade? And um, because I, I guess in that time you've seen quite a bit of of change in this space, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of change, but I think. I think the one, the one big learning um, that I've had and that I, I carry with myself today is really to be customer obsessed. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, even though payments, we always think about, you know, well, not always, but we often think about or mostly think about and deal with, with merchants, the final decision of how to pay and whether, and whether to pay and with what to pay is really belongs to, to the consumer and, you know, PayPal taught me to relentlessly bring the conversation back to the point of view of the consumer. Um, what do they see? What do they experience? What can we do to make it better, smoother? How do we remove friction? So at the end of the day, we need to provide merchants with a solution that will delight their consumers um, and, and, and make sure that you know, when they're at that point, you or me or anybody that's actually looking to, to pay for something, um, how do you make sure that that experience is the best possible experience? Yeah, so consumers are at the heart of everything. And uh, well, look, that's that's a great note to end on, I think, Matt. Thanks again for speaking to me today. Thanks for having me. My thanks again there to Matt from Vault for joining me today on the podcast. As always, there are plenty of previous episodes for you to listen back to. Just go to the on-demand section on openbankingexpo.com. We've had some great guests recently, and there's going to be plenty more where that came from. So until next time, goodbye for now.